Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hello, my runners. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to give you some quick updates about what's going on in the Running Explained world family consortium. Crime syndicate? No, I'm just kidding. Um, what's going on in our part of the world? So, of course, uh, the podcast is continuing, rolling right along. A couple episodes left for this year, season two. Season three, we're just doing seasons by calendar year. It's not like a fancy thing. Um, season three will debut in January because that's that's when the new year starts. And I'm so excited for the guests and topics that I have lined up for you in 2023. It's going to be freaking amazing. Okay, other options and, and offerings and things. What's new here? So, my amazing group of coaches, all six of them. I don't know if everybody's accepting new clients. Almost every one of my amazing coaches is currently accepting new one-on-one clients. If you are looking to take your training to the next level in 2023, and you're looking for a coach to do that with you, not say for you, can't do anything for you. We'll do that with you. Build your training specifically around you as the athlete, your goals, your timeline, your schedule, what you respond to, uh, all the help that you need along the way. One-on-one coaching is available. You can find out more on the website, runningexplained.co slash coaching. If you are looking for coaching support, but just not quite ready or not interested in that one-on-one coaching option, Group Coaching 2.0 is launching in 2023. Registration for half and full marathon groups opens on Monday, December 26th. Group coaching in the new format, I'm super excited about this, is a combination of bi-weekly coaching calls with me, Coach Elizabeth, Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time starting on January 3rd. Okay, so January 3rd, every other Tuesday in the evening, 6 to 7 p.m. Those are our bi-weekly coaching calls. Currently, yes, both groups are going to be in the same call together, but I assume as the groups grow, we will need to break those into two groups. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Group coaching is also includes a training plan, right? One of the amazing training plans that I have available on the website that's included as well. If you do need to make modifications, that's part of what the group it, I can advise you on, right? How to do that, what makes sense for you. There is also a self-directed learning module. So all of the information that you will need, almost all because there's no such thing as knowing everything, There are 13 individual educational modules that I have developed for you about uh, topics on topics that are going to help you run your best race for your chosen distance. So whether it's your first or your 50th half or full marathon, always something more to learn. So the uh, huge wealth of information in the learning modules is available for you to learn. Bring your questions. The group calls are 100% 60 minutes of me talking, discussing with you on anything you may need support with questions on to help you run your absolute best race. 
And, 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 and of course, there are going to be more uh, training plans, masterclasses coming out in 2023 as well. So I'm super excited about this. But yes, if you're looking for group coaching for 2023, registration opens on Monday, January, sorry, December 26th. Uh, I'm super excited about that. We had an amazing time with our groups this past year in the small groups, but because everybody's running their own races on their own timelines, what we're doing now is the groups are going to be rolling admission. So you join the group for the timeline that makes sense for you. And so if you don't have to like, wait, oh, I missed that small group. Nope. You can join group coaching and get all the access and support that you need when you specifically need it. Very excited about that. All right. What else is going on in the Running Explained world? All right. We covered uh, podcasts. We covered coaching. We covered group coaching. Yep. Plans. Always got plans available. Don't forget uh, plans, masterclasses, a couple more of those in the works and coming out soon. Yep. I think that's about done it. Cool. All right. Long pre-intro over now actual intro. My guest this week is registered dietitian Cynthia Donovan. Cynthia is the period nutritionist. She specifically works with women, people who menstruate, who eh, not menstruating anymore and don't know why, right? So not related to menopause. Where is my period? I'm supposed to get one. Where did it go? Where can it be? This is actually, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but it's very serious. So we've definitely discussed in the show before about what happens, you know, that losing your period is a sign of relative energy deficiency syndrome. Losing your period is actually a huge problem. Um, If you're supposed to be getting a period and you're not getting one, that's your body's way of telling you something is seriously, seriously wrong, that it cannot function the way it's supposed to because it doesn't have the resources available in order to make your period happen. And this is typically, um, not typically, we're going to discuss all of this, but this is, like I said, a resource issue. Your body is just trying to survive and you don't want to just survive. You want to thrive. So if you have ever struggled with a missing period, if you are currently missing your period and you're like, how the heck do I get it back? Cynthia is here to discuss all of those things, amenorrheic. So why one might lose their period what you can do, what typically is done when it's you're trying to get your period back, and this general discussions about, you know, periods. <laughs> Half the world's supposed to get one. Let's talk about it. Cynthia, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, Elizabeth, I am so excited to be here to chat with you and share this, like, wealthful of sort of unspoken unheard of information so yes I mean we I feel like there are is a subset of the world that I hang out in that talks about this kind of thing but we're going to really talk about what it means to what happens when you lose your period or becomes irregular what that means uh and and dive into this whole topic so your story is really integral to why you do what you do. So go ahead and tell us about your story and how you became a dietitian who specializes in working with people who've lost their period. Of course. And I am so excited to share my story because it really has led me to exactly to what I do today. And so I'm going to kind of keep it as brief as possible because I could probably record a whole podcast episode on my story. So I became a dietitian in, we'll just say over 10 years ago. We'll just call it that. <laughs> and so at the time of becoming a dietitian, I was very much um, involved in being healthy and all that stuff and exercise on a regular basis. And 
Um, through my studies, I learned, you know, weight management and all the things that you need to do to put people on diets and all that stuff. So anyways, how that kind of comes into play was prior to becoming a dietitian, I found out there was actually a degree for that. And I was already a very health I have to do air quotes, um, health conscious person. And that meant for me eating a certain amount of calories, exercising on a daily basis, maybe sometimes twice a day. And then I was like, ooh, now I can learn more information about how to, well, help other people, but also help myself with my weight management and stuff like that. So flash forward to getting married, right? I said, okay, I think it's time for me to come off birth control because, you know, I'll probably want to have kids soon. Just want to make sure everything's working right. And I didn't get a period. So I thought, okay, well, that's kind of weird. But doctor didn't think anything of it. He said, no, that's completely normal, common. You've been on it for, I think I was on it for like 10 years or something. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just go with it. So then it was getting closer to my wedding and I I didn't want to, of course, have my period for my wedding. So I went back on the pill and I got a period, which I'm just going to side note here for a second for my story that if you are on birth control and you are getting a period, it is not a real period. So and I'll get into that a little bit more in our conversation. So definitely want to come back to that. So um, got my period and um, didn't have it for my wedding. And then I decided, well, okay, I'm officially married now. Come off the pill. No period. Doctor still said, oh, you know, that's normal. It could take a long time. And so after a while, I'm like, something is just not right. Like I should be getting a period. Now, throughout this time, I was exercising um, very frequently. I was running. I ran um, a 15K like a couple years in a row exercise was my life. It was like my world revolved around it. And so when I finally decided like, okay, this is this has been over a year now and no period. What's going on? So I, I begged doctors for answers. And one doctor did some more testing on me and said, oh, you have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so I said, woo, you know, I finally got an answer. And so I started to follow PCOS diet protocols, which, again, this is over mm, like 10 years ago or something. Um, So what it is now uh, is completely different. So what it was then was controlling carbs, eating um, very, quote unquote, healthy, exercising frequently, which drove me at the time I didn't know it deeper into a missing period because I was restricting more in the name of health, of course, which really doesn't make it okay. But so I thought that would bring my period back um, and it didn't. So I'm like, okay, now I'm getting really frustrated. What's going on here? And so and at the time, I didn't want to have babies right away because the doctor was like, oh, if you want to have babies, just, you know, seek fertility treatment. And I'm like, but I don't want to have babies yet. I want to know why my period is missing. Come on, somebody please tell me. And so, gosh, this was over, I would say a good like five year battle four to five year battle of trying to figure out what the heck was going on with my absent menstrual cycle. So then finally, the doctor was like, oh, I'll refer you to a reproductive endocrinologist. And so finally, I got an answer of hypothalamic amenorrhea, HA. And so when the doctor told me that, I was like, no way, no way. No, that's only for women 
that have eating disorders, that are super low body weight. No, no, no. I don't fit the criteria. I learned this in college. This is not what I have. So I was in a little bit of denial. Um, But it was what I had. It was exactly what I had. And here I was. My BMI was quote unquote normal, maybe even close to borderline overweight because of my muscle mass. And um, I didn't have an eating disorder. I had disordered eating, but that was it. So it took me a little bit of time to kind of come to terms that I needed to cut out the intense exercise and eat more. And it just, it didn't add up to me, Elizabeth, because what I had thought, you know, what I learned in school, what I've learned throughout the years was that you eat more and you exercise less, you gain weight. And here I was already, quote unquote, a normal slash overweight BMI. So yeah, long story short, I ended up after those five years of feeling very frustrated and the information that's available now that wasn't available then, there was no science out there for me to say, okay, Cynthia, if you do eat more, even if you do gain more weight, you are going to get your period back. So I had a little bit of trouble of, you know, body dysmorphia, body, you know, image issues um, and eating more. But I think if I knew what I knew now, it would have been a little bit easier because I knew that if I did eat more, regardless of weight gain, my period would come back and if I rested more. So I ended up pursuing fertility treatment and which is, Fine. I think if that works for you, I think that you should do it. However, I do want to point out because when I started to pursue it, I was still in kind of what I call quasi recovery where I was still not eating enough. I was still maybe doing bits of exercise. And guess what? Fertility treatment didn't work. But when I finally let go of all my food rules and ate and rested, it it happened. And then flash forward, um, 15 months after I had my first child, I got pregnant naturally, almost like uh, by the oopsie method, if you will. Um, And so it was nice to be on two sides of the story of having struggles and then having it be so easy. So after I had my second baby, um, I was chatting with my sister-in-law, who was also an entrepreneur, who also suffered from HA, um, and I'm going to call HA hypothalamic amenorrhea for short because it's a mouthful. Uh, She's like, why don't you specialize in it? And I said, wow, I'm like, you know what? Because I've always loved doing my own business. And I'm like, you know what? I should because you know what? I don't want any person to ever struggle like I did as long as I did and not have the answers that I needed. Um, And so, yeah, that kind of led me to where I am now running a virtual practice and working with women across the world, helping them restore their menstrual cycles and find, you know, freedom with food and exercise. That's such a, a story with, I think, one of the like a happy ending. You know, I figured yeah. it out, although it took it took a while. And one of the reasons that you and I are talking today about missing periods is that in the endurance exercise space, this is far more common than it should be to have irregular or missing periods. And we've I've done I've talked to a lot of dietitians and and other. Um, highly credentialed people on this show about nutrition, about overtraining, about hormone health, about, you know, all these things. And it all kind of comes back to, you know, when you're not giving your body the resources that it needs, even though what you're doing may on paper be quote unquote healthy or like, but I'm just training for a marathon. Everybody trains for a marathon. How come those people aren't losing their period when they train for a marathon or a half marathon or a 10 K or whatever the thing is? Um, 
So let's go back to the basics and talk about why it's bad to miss a per- to not get a period when you should be getting a period. Because I think some people will probably listen to your story and think, but I'm not trying to get pregnant. I don't want to get pregnant. I, like, I don't really care if I don't get my period. Maybe it's even convenient for mm. me not to have one. Tell us why it's a problem yes. if we're supposed to have one and it's not showing up. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that convenience thing. Like in the grand scheme of things, if you don't know you have a problem or you've never had this problem before, is it convenient not to have a period? I mean, yeah, I guess, especially if you're a runner. But is it healthy? Is it? No, not at all. And here's the thing, you know, even what you said, and I'll talk about like the health consequences that come along with it. But, um, you know, some women will continue to get a period as they train endurance for marathons or whatever. But here's the thing we don't know. We don't know if they are on a birth control pill. Okay, because if they are on a birth control pill, we have no idea if they truly are getting a menstrual cycle because you're taking external hormones, you're putting them in your body, they're sending signals to your brain, and they're making things happen on behalf of that medication you're taking. So that's one thing. Okay, and number two, there's women out there that can get regular menstrual cycles but not be ovulating. And so if you're not ovulating, your hormones are not working succinctly to give your body what it needs in the hormone department for all of your systems to run at an optimal place. And so that leads into if you're missing your period and even, wait, even if you're on the birth control pill, which studies recently show that it doesn't protect your bones like you once thought. So if your doctor was like, oh, you're not getting your period, you know, a Miss Marathon runner, uh, just take the pill. You know, it'll protect your bones in the meantime. Nope. If you are not adequately fueling while you are on the pill, which again, if you were adequately fueling, you wouldn't be probably maybe on the pill because you'd be getting a regular period. It's not protecting your bones. Um, so because that- And that's in a situation if, if an athlete's been put on the pill to quote unquote, stimulate or give them a period when they haven't had a period. We're not talking about like, I just, I've been on the pill and it like, it works fine for me for my birth control. And I, cause I hear that a lot and I definitely want to dive, keep going in where you are going. But I, this is something I hear a lot is that when I talk about amenorrhea or reds or these things where a missing menstrual cycle is one of the symptoms, there's always the, but what if I'm on birth control how will I know? And the question is, you might not know because the birth control is giving you signals that may not accurately reflect what's going on in your body. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you know, the only way to know if you actually have a regular healthy menstrual cycle is to come off of the pill. And so, and I'm not saying to do this, you need to speak with your medical professional, but, you know, sometimes birth control is used for for other, you know, things. But if your medical provider is specifically putting you on the pill because of irregular periods um, or um, lack of period to protect your bones, then this is red flag because that's not going to protect your bones. The only thing that is going to protect your bones is if you get adequate estrogen back flowing through your blood. And the way you're going to do that is by eating and resting enough. So um, that's a, you know, a biggie there because it's it's a quick fix. And of course, we want to get back to our training and doing what we're doing and, you know, be done with it. And again, it comes back to the convenience thing. Well, no biggie. I don't have a period. So um, but the health, you know, issues, disparities, whatever you want to call them that come along with that. Um, we'll first talk about bone health, because if you're not getting a 
healthy menstrual cycle. And when I say healthy menstrual cycle, that's an ovulatory cycle. So without ovulation, you can't get pregnant. Um, and even if you don't want to get pregnant, if you're not ovulating, you're, you are not having a regular healthy menstrual cycle. So there's a few phases to the menstrual cycle. You have your menstrual cycle, which is your actual like menstruation. And then you have your follicular phase. Then you have your ovulation. Then you have your luteal phase. And then it repeats. Your period happens. So take out the ovulation. You are not having a complete menstrual cycle. So um, the bone health thing comes into estrogen. Estrogen helps, you know, repair. It helps build. Um, If you have zero to little estrogen, it's doing nothing for your bones. So that means osteoporosis, osteopenia. um, And if you're not sure if you've been on the pill for a really long time and you don't know if it could be missing because you might fit some of the stuff I'm talking about, ask your doctor for a DEXA scan um, to see where you're at. But regardless, wherever you're at, you still need to eat more and rest more because you're not getting your period. Um, so bone health is a biggie. Heart health. So there are so many more emerging studies coming out, Elizabeth, that are connecting and correlating amenorrhea lack of estrogen to heart disease, heart health, high cholesterol. Many um, women with missing periods will find that they have high cholesterol. And here's another thing that happens. They'll go to their doctors, right? And the doctor will be like, oh my gosh, you're so healthy. Like you run, you exercise, you're at a healthy weight. Look at those muscles, whatever. And you have high cholesterol. So you either have to take this cholesterol pill or you need to um, watch the fat in your diet. Now, oh my gosh, here we go, Elizabeth. Like these women do not need less food and less calories. So, um, you know, it's a big, I don't want to say all medical professionals don't know about it. There are some out there, but it's, there's definitely a big knowledge deficit out there on it. So, Heart health, um, cognition, um, they're finding, you know, studies like way in the future, increasing your risk for Alzheimer's. Um, and I don't know, you know, if you ever had experienced um, amenorrhea or low energy availability or not, but I know when I did, I was like a, a zombie robot that couldn't really think much than you know, the the typical things that you need to do on a day-to-day basis, go to work, you know, take a shower, go to the gym. So lots of brain fog. Um, and then there's, um, so those are kind of like the biggies. And then, of course, infertility. Um, and there, there are statistics, and I can't remember where they came from, but over 50% of active women, so I'm not even talking about endurance athletes, active women have menstrual irregularities. So you can, again, like I said, have a regular period, but not be ovulating. And there's so many women that seek fertility treatment. And they're like, I'm getting periods, but I can't get pregnant. And they're not ovulating. But then their doctor isn't, you know, digging further. And they're like, oh, but you're so healthy. Keep doing what you're doing. Or, you know, in fact, when did you start keto? Um, so, you know, there's there's a, there's a big thing there. And I see you kind of laughing a little bit. Um, and so, Infertility, and then we could get into like the here and now um, symptoms of digestive issues. Many, 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 many will comp- complain. Oh, you know, doctor said I have IBS or I have this or that, and you know I'm always bloated. I'm constipated. Um, so what is happening clearly there is well, not clearly, but because you are not adequately fueling your body, your digestive tract is a muscle, right? So if you don't have the energy to bring on a period, likely your your um, your food isn't going toward building your muscle. And so 
muscles on your arms, muscles in your digestive tract, kind of same thing. So, and it's also a non-essential function of the body. And you would think like, how could digestive like, you know, digestion be non-essential, but it is. So what happens is- Rest and digest system. You only get it when you're in a good place. And that means not running away from a tiger. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So digestion, cold intolerance. So you're, you know, the one person in the room that's always cold. So, and and I'm probably, I'm just going to go over the, you know, the biggie ones um, that I see, but those are definitely it. And then above all else, you know, um, you may find one or two things. You may say, well, I have a ton of energy, right? I don't, I'm good. Like I, I have a ton of energy. And what's happening is that your stress hormones are so elevated, your cortisol, your your adrenaline, that yes, you are going to have a lot of energy. And then on the flip side, some will complain that I have zero energy, um, but uh, which could become confusing because it's like, well, if I have all this energy, I must be eating enough. Or another thing, and then we'll dive into the next thing, the weight thing, right? So cal- there was always what I learned in college, calories in versus calories out. So you eat more and you move less, you gain weight. If you move more and eat less, you lose weight. Like it's just the law of energy. And it doesn't work that way. And sometimes it does. Definitely sometimes it does. But I'll give myself for an example. I was at one point eating 1,500 calories, exercising up to two hours a day, working full time, actually working full time and then a couple other side jobs. And I was like, oh, well, I must be eating enough. I'm not losing any weight. In fact, I would really love to get rid of this bit of belly fat. And so my body finally caught on after years of dieting and, you know, potentially up and down with weight. It was like, well, I'm keeping as much as I can onto this body for survival mode. So um, you can have a missing period literally in any body size. The body is complicated. We know this, but it doesn't have to be a mystery as well. Whether you're trying to figure out why something just doesn't feel right or you're trying to optimize that last 1% out of your peak performance, Inside Tracker is here to help. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. Inside Tracker compares you to you with all your previous blood tests, and it compares you to other athletes like you, not the general population. Your values may be quote unquote normal for the gen pop, but for endurance athletes, not so much. Whatever your goals are in 2023, start off with the most information so you can make the best decisions possible. And now you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store by visiting insidetracker.com forward slash running explained. That's 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store, visiting insidetracker.com forward slash running explained. That's that's something I actually that is what I wanted to talk about next. That was my next question. We have, especially in the in the running community, this stereotype of the amenorrheic adolescent runner. But then you can have, like you said, any any body size, any body shape or type can also have HA or be amenorrheic. And I think that's a really confusing thing for a lot of people because we when we talk about the way that we describe what's going on here, you said low energy availability. We talk about your body not having enough energy available to do to like survive and thrive. 
is that we look at somebody who's in a body that is not underweight and you say, this person has enough quote unquote energy stored in their body, right? And in their tissues, they should have enough energy. How is it possible that this person who is not underweight doesn't have enough energy available to do the things that their body is trying to do? And I think some people get really confused and like, I've even seen people get like angry about this and say to me, no, that person, they have more than enough energy. They should be doing all these weird diet protocols. And like you said, don't tell somebody who doesn't have a period to eat less. It's the worst thing you can do. What's going on here? How is it that somebody can be in a not in a non-underweight body size and still not have enough energy available to not just survive, but to thrive? And that means getting a regular period. Yeah. And I can say that was sort of me. Um, now, in the spectrum, I'll just use BMI as reference, but on the spectrum of BMI, I was borderline overweight. So when I finally had that diagnosis of HA, I'm like, no, does not make sense. Like I have more than enough energy storage here to do what I need to do. In fact, I would like to lose some. But again, that goes back into the body image thing too. So it's kind of twofold where there has been information put in our heads over time, whether it's through college for me, you know, upbringing, etc. And then you also, on top of that, most, most of us, not saying all of us, have some sort of body image stuff going on. And so it's twofold. But um, what is happening is that your body is freaking smart. Your body is smart. So it's saying like, all right, I remember when there was a famine. And you might say, well, I was never starving myself. And so here's another big point here. What you think is starving yourself and what your body thinks is starving yourself, two different things, right? So, which is kind of like a, when I realized that, I was like, oh my gosh, like mind blown. Um, because we have this predisposition in our head, like this is what our what we need. And, you know, based on my um, calculation on Google, I should be having this many calories or whatever. So um, what's happening is your body is extremely smart and it is preparing for the next famine. Um, and I'm not going to get in super sciencey with it, but your body is holding on to precious energy in the event something like this happens again and you're not eating and you're having to run away from lions and tigers and bears. Uh, So it's the body survival mechanism and what makes one body hold on and the next not hold on, that is kind of unknown and likely based on genetics. And just like there's some women out there that can run super marathons, you know, 10 a year, eat, you know, maybe a 2000 calorie diet and still maintain a period for some reason. And this is a a woman I'm talking about, not on birth control. And that just goes back to genetics. Um, The survival genetics were really freaking strong, but it doesn't mean that that person isn't also struggling in some other context of body image or health disparities. Uh, it's just that what maybe the body is prioritizing of of what is needed to survive at that time. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what's happening. It's a survival technique from the body. And that storage is storage for um, future planning purposes for the body. Um, so does that help answer the question? Yeah, and I think it's just really important to point out that I I love that what you consider starving and what your body 
actually consider starving are two different things. They think that for, you know, we talked a lot on this show about the way that we approach food and diet culture and fueling and the importance of adequate fueling and more than adequate fueling and sports nutrition, all this type of thing. And, and many people that I know have tried dieted at least once in their lives, right? Some people more than once, some people as kind of a constant state. And I think for the, and I'm going to say as for the, as the typical, I'm in my mid thirties, right? I'm a woman in the United States. I've been on my fair share of dangerously low calorie diets. And so I, I know what it feels like to literally feel like you're starving. And so when you're eating more than that, which may not still be enough and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm eating more than 1200 calories a day. I remember what it felt like to feel like I was, I was practically starving. I don't feel like that. I must be eating enough Mm. and it still might not be enough. Exactly. 100%. And I just also wanted to add in what also is likely occurring um, with that, you know, storage mechanism, survival mechanism of the body is your metabolism is also inching to like, like crawling, like I, I can't even get going um, kind of thing. So you're, it's, it's all to conserve. It slows down, that, doesn't yes. it? Like it to Considerably. protect you. Like you're, goes into hibernation yes, mode. <laughs> yeah, it goes like think of your your phone when it's on, you know, the brinks of dying. It, you know, the screen gets darker, maybe some of the apps aren't available, uh, you know, things like that. So it really it's your body is just doing the best that it can to keep you alive. And, you know, that kind of what your body needs and what you think it needs, same goes with exercise is what you think is not you know, terribly intense or duration wise, your body may think otherwise. Uh, So because that was that was, again, me, I was a prime example when the doctor was like, you're exercising too much. I'm like, but I'm not like I'm just doing what a normal person does and maybe a little bit more. And I was like exercising like two hours a day some days. But I thought like there's nothing wrong. Our society preaches exercise, 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 stress relief, stress relief, you know. So um, it was hard for me to at first be like, okay, well, it doesn't matter what I think is too much or not enough or whatever. It's about what my body thinks, needs, wants. And especially being in the endurance athlete space, it's very normalized for most of us to be exercising for, you know, hour, hour and a half, most days of the week, like just to, to train for your run of the mill marathon, just to finish, you're looking at between six and maybe 10 hours of exercise per week. Now, of course, that should be mostly easy effort running, right? So for everybody who's, you know, thinking about the, well, it's one of the reasons the intensity of your training matters, but that's also some of when I talk to a lot of athletes, you know, coaching capacity or just discussing their training, you know, trying to convince them that their non-running exercise counts. Like you may quote unquote only be running four days a week, but if you're also going to CrossFit and you're also going to bar and you also like to do 20 minutes of core before bed, oh, and you also like to go hiking, I'm like that all counts. Oh yeah. Right. So I think especially as runners, we have this really myopic view of like, well, only the running counts, right? Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not even running that much and I'm not running that much compared to this person who I see over there. That's not the point. The point is that your body views all exercise as like it costs you something. Yes. Right? It costs something to do the things you want to do. And if you're trying to do more than you have to spend, then you're in trouble. 
Absolutely. And and it really goes into this analogy of energy debt, I like to say, because this is this is very hard for a lot of women <clears throat> to kind of think about if they're at a quote unquote normal weight, you know, that, well, I don't need to eat more, you know, and here's the thing, you your body, if you're missing your period, you need much more food than you think. And so what you're doing is think of it like I'm going to use this really super quick bank analogy. So you have a monthly expense of, I don't know, $10,000, right? And you start out with $100,000 in the bank. And over time, you are spending more than you make. So you are eating less than you need to to maintain that bank account balance, right? And so what happens it eventually goes into a super negative bank account balance, right? You are like over withdrawn, like a ton of money. And so then you're finally like, okay, I think I want to build my my bank account back up, right? And so then you start to eat more. Okay. So are you following me here? Yeah. Okay. So you start to eat more. You're like, yeah. So let's say, so let's say I, I'm in debt. Um, and I'm like, all right, cool. I've, I, I need to, I, I need, I want to eat more. I want to eat more than I have been eating. I want to deposit more than let's say I was depositing nothing. Right. Not yep. even I'm like, all right, cool. cool. I'm going to add more. Yes. And so here's where it but can- I still need to spend. Yes. Right? So you are still spending every single day. So you need to not only cover your costs of spending, but you need. And so when I say spending is your breathing, your sleeping, your digestion, so that the basic needs of, you know, living. And then you have your exercise. So you're spending there. And then you have maybe your job. Um, maybe you have a child, whatever it may be. So you are, and, and then you got to put money in the bank, right? Then you got to put money back in the bank. So the requirement of food, regardless of size, um, is, is really, it just doesn't go together. So you know, thinking about that when you think like, oh, well, I was only eating 1,800 calories and now I'm eating mm, 2,200. You may need much more than that, especially if you're continuing to train. And with that being said, too, um, my my recommendations to my clients are usually to cut out intense exercise. And you might say, well, my running is, you know, very low, moderately paced, you know, three, four days a week. Even that, if you are getting your heart rate above 100 beats per minute, your body essentially, if you're missing your period, is looking at that like you are being chased by a tiger or a lion or a bear or a bad man <laughs> or bad guy. No runner yeah. wants to hear that, right? Nobody, no runner wants to hear. And that's, I think that's the, one of the biggest fears. And I want to say like a, a barrier to treatment that I see a lot of people. Like if I... <laughs> If I finally get help for this thing, which I know is a problem, they're going to tell me I can't run. Oh, yeah. But then it's like, we really need to think about the short and long-term consequences of what of what you're trying to make a decision about. Totally. And, right? and here's the thing. If you want to look at it, easier said than done. I know I've been there. I was an avid CrossFitter, not, not a huge runner, but I was one of the top athletes in my gym. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all this hard work. Like I cannot let this hard work and all this dedication and sacrifice like just fall to crap. And that's really not how it goes. That's how we think it goes in our mind. That's the story we're telling ourselves. But guess what? I eventually got back to exercise stronger and 
like better and happier than ever with a regular menstrual cycle. So that's kind of flash forward. But in the meantime, yeah, to take a little bit of a break, you have to think of it like almost like your body is injured, right? And I know running means so much to you. I know it's a huge, huge, huge part of your life. But like you said, long-term effects, okay. So if you really love running that much, and we'll just say you're I don't know, 32 years old. And you're like, oh, you know, I want to be one of those runners that are running into their 70s. Well, girlfriend, if you continue running right now with a missing period, you are not going to be running in your 70s. You're likely going to have osteoporosis. By then, probably a couple bone breaks, you know. So thinking of that, if running truly, truly means a lot to you and you want to get back to it better than ever, then could you treat this as an injury? Could you know that this is only temporary, totally temporary. I had a handful of clients that were marathon runners and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm never going to be able to get back to it. All of them back to running marathons with regular cycles. They're like, I can't even believe it. Like, I can't believe I'm running marathons and I have a regular period. This is like mind blowing. And so when we give our body enough rest and we give it the proper nutrition, um, you know, and most of them are like, I'm I'm faster and stronger than ever. My recovery is is much greater. And and here's the thing too, if you are in a low energy availability and you're running, you may say, Oh, my running's fine. But the thing is that we don't know is what if you were doing this adequately fueled and menstruating? Like you can't you don't even have that to compare to. You can I don't even want to say you can. You will be much stronger probably faster, uh, depending maybe on your your coach or trainer for your marathon. Um, but it's it's hard to see that right in the moment. Let's talk about athletes in, of any age um, who are missing their period and are also clinically underweight um, or have an extremely low body fat percentage. I think this is what we think of the more classic sign of amenorrhea, right? low body weight, low body fat, missing period, you can say like, oh, of course, like they check all the boxes. This is really easy. Um, when those athletes then confront what's ha- realistically what's happening, this is a problem. I need to get my period back. How often do the athletes or the, the, the people that you work with in your practice who are clinically underweight, how strong is the resistance to weight gain in their recovery? Usually it's pretty strong. Um, I don't think I've ever had one woman say, I want to gain all the weight. Like, let's gain the weight. Let's do this. Now, will they say, I know I need to gain weight, but I am fearful of it? Of course. Of course. And I mean, for somebody that is an endurance like runner or, you know, marathon runner, that is um, that lean body, that runner's body is is definitely preferred, you know, just in societal ideal, right? Um And there are unfortunately a lot of coaches, especially who work with teenagers who should be fired, who tell their athletes that that should be the body they're striving for. And that, of course, like, yeah. Don't even get me started there. (laughs) Big problems. And, And, oh my gosh, that breaks my heart because it gets ingrained in them so young and then they carry it likely through the lifetime. Um, And so... Like you said about the coaches and and stuff like that, that could be promoting that, like, you know, that body image. Or even I've had, you know, I've had a couple uh, semi-Olympic and Olympic athletes come to me to say, my coach doesn't find it a problem. Like, it 
they just said keep going. I was like, oh, gosh. And so it's like, well, my coach is telling me this, but then I'm reading on Instagram that this is not good, you know. So it's like, what what gifts? Like, I don't know what to do. This is my career. And so that's a decision that you're going to have to think long and deep, depending on how long you want to continue on this career, because it's eventually something we'll have to give. And also, too, for those adolescents that are out there, and they go to their doctors, they're still going to their pediatrician, and their pediatrician is like, oh, you know, um, Jennifer, she's she's fine. You know, she's just very active. Like, that's why she hasn't gotten her period, and she's 16 years old. Um, no, this is also not normal. This is not normal. She is also suffering from HA, and maybe she hadn't even gotten her period yet, like, you know, at all, or maybe it was a regular. Um, I've worked with clients that never got regular period like no periods at all and then when they gave their body the proper rest and nutrition it 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 appeared of course easier said than done but that's you know a a big red flag to if you're not getting your period likely by like 12 13 maybe 14 max red flag there that you are not eating enough and your bones at that point in time you are growing like not only do you need that 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 food for the exercise, but you are a a growing person. Um, So that's something to look out for, um, for sure. That that is also not normal. Something I hear, because I I do work with some athletes who are on the various, I would say, places in their journey along the weight restoration or period restoration timeline, right? And so that's always uh, a really tricky place to be. And I'm, I'm happy to be able to help guide clients in that capacity where I know that the tendency in their natural, like if I were, if they left their own devices, they would be twice a day exercising, you know, that kind of thing and be able to support them on helping them do less, which is really important while staying active walks, you know, is really, we, (laughs) a lot of walks on the schedule. Um, but when an athlete is becoming weight restored and eating what they think is plenty of calories, there's a frustration that, oh, but I did what I was supposed to do. Why hasn't my period come back? It's been three months. It's been six months. It's been a year. Mm-hmm. What's happening? I did the things I was supposed to do. I gained weight back. I'm eating 3,000, 3,500 more you know, calories per day. Where is my period? Yep. yep. Where is the Where is it? Where did it go? And so <laughs> here's the thing. Going back to what you think your body needs and what your body actually needs are two different things. So maybe you are eating enough and resting enough, but your body might need more time, right? Especially for, I find the women that take the longest are either A, women that have never had a natural menstrual cycle, or B, those that are much lower body weight when they start the recovery. So sometimes it's a matter of time, but I'm a big fan of being proactive versus reactive. And what I mean by that is if, say, if you are eating X amount of calories and you're doing very, very bits of exercise that we might want to up those calories a little bit more and decrease the exercise a little bit more. Um, And that sometimes is a big mind game for people because it's like, I am doing so much more than I ever have, like ever in my life. Like I've never eaten this much. I never rested this much. And in fact, I even, I'm a normal, quote unquote, normal weight now. And so being proactive in resting additionally and eating additionally 
is not going to hurt you or harm your health. It's only going to help repair a million other things that have been put on the back burner by your body over the years. So proactive versus reactive, um, which can be scary, but with the right kind of support, Elizabeth, I, it's, it's possible and, and it needs to be done. If, if somebody comes to you and says, or let's say you've been working with somebody for a length of time and they are gaining weight, you know, wherever they are in their journey, what is the time at which you would then say, let's consider if there's something else that we haven't considered going on? Like how long is too long? Like to then start to say, should we be testing for other things? Should we be seeing another medical professional to figure out if there's another underlying condition here that we aren't aware of? Because it's been 16, 18 months, maybe it's been three years, you know, is there like a time where you're like, maybe we should think about some other stuff? So I like to say to trust your intuition. So when, you know, I'm working with someone, if it's been, I, I can only pinpoint one client off the top of my head that was not successful and she ended up having some like crazy thyroid thing going on so things to check out definitely thyroid um you can ask your doctor for a mri of your um, brain uh, because sometimes there could be this is very rare but i've never had any clients with this but it's you know there are people out there with pituitary tumors that are, are typically benign, um, so not cancerous. Um, and so also I get thrown in a lot by doctors uh, saying to my clients, oh, you have PCOS, like that's what's going on. And so here's the thing with the PCOS thing. You have to have polycystic ovaries, high androgens, um, and then there was one other thing. Um, I actually have a podcast recording if um, anyone wants to listen to it with a dietitian who specializes in PCOS. Um, and so anyways, if you are just diagnosed by ultrasound with your polycystic ovary, so you don't combine it with very elevated testosterone levels, what is happening is your body cannot get past the follicular stage of your menstrual cycle. So remember how I said there's the menstrual phase, period follicular, ovulation, luteal. So it can get past that follicular phase. So you see all these little quote unquote cysts in your ovaries that are actually follicles that cannot mature because they don't have the proper hormones. But when you get an ultrasound, so this happened to me actually. So I went in, they're like, oh my gosh, look at all these little cysts in her ovaries. But they're actually follicles. They're not, I mean, you can call them because they're cyst-like structures. It's it's a big kind of confusing thing, but they are follicles in your um, your ovaries, right? And so what happens is in order for your uh, menstrual cycle to progress from follicular to ovulation, it has to have LH, FSH kind of surging, which comes from the hypothalamus, which is shut down because of survival needs of the body. And so that these other hormones aren't feeding to make these follicles mature enough. So they just sit in the ovaries and can't go anywhere because there's no hormones to get them to the next cycle and they can't mature enough to release an egg. And so that's where sometimes I see so many women will be like, oh, doctor said I have PCOS. And I'm like, well, how are you diagnosed? Like, oh, an ultrasound. How are your testosterone levels? Fine. Do you have any abnormal hair growth? No. Okay. 
when's the last time you had your period? Because actually people with PCOS do have intermittent cycles. You know, they they have some. If you haven't had a cycle in a really long time, I would say six months to a year, <clears throat> likely it is not. So PCOS, pituitary tumor, um, potentially, you know, there could be other things that I've maybe never come across, but those are the, I think, the biggies uh, to look out for and rule out uh, because HA is actually a diagnosis of exclusion. So if you feel like you do have this, it's it's definitely a good idea to go to your doctor and be like, can you get give me an MRI, run some labs, get some ultrasounds, you know, get a workup. Absolutely. I think this is this is kind of the frustration of when we what we go through I think just as people who have to navigate our own health. I know. (laughs) And I I said this to a lot of people recently, like more people than I want to have to say this to. You know that something is wrong. Believe in yourself. Yes. Like don't let somebody tell you that everything's okay. If you in your heart of hearts know that something's not right, even if this specialist said you're fine and that specialist said you're fine and that specialist said you're fine. If you think something's wrong, you deserve to figure, you know, figure out what that is right absolutely 100% and I like to say you know your body better than anyone else you know your body and I get it doctors are extremely intelligent individuals 100% but your doctor doesn't know your body like you know it right and doctors they're humans like you and I like they don't know everything about everything And the advice that I have for you, if your doctor doesn't give you the answers that you want or need or whatever, that you base this on your your intuition and do what you need to to seek out maybe a subspecialty to help you, you know, heal whatever it is that's going on with you. Um, Because, you know, if you don't, then, you know, and, and you're waiting for your doctor's permission you know, because a lot of my clients will be like, well, my doctor said this or that. And and it's like, again, going back to you, what's your gut say? Like something's going on, right? Don't don't kind of, you know, sugarcoat it or cover it up with like, well, I really, really want to run and I just want someone to give me that permission to continue. Because most doctors will be like, oh my God, you're healthy. Like other than a missing period, like you're great. A missing period, so your menstrual cycle is, um should be anyways, considered a fifth vital sign. So there's actually a really great book out there. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called The Fifth Vital Sign. It's by Lisa um, Henderson-Jack, and she goes into everything about the menstrual cycle. And it's really fascinating, really fascinating on how, you know, moods are linked up to it, um, energy levels. You know, you can train according to your menstrual cycle. Um, so there's there's just so much stuff out there. And, you know, they go in, they check your blood pressure, they check your I, I almost said a swear word, um, but they check your weight, which again, your weight isn't an indication of your health. Your period, your missing period is more of an indication of your health. So keeping that in mind, being your own advocate, especially in this day and age, um, so that you can get the health care and the health that you need to do what you love to do. How often have you worked... Um with clients who have had a missing period for a while, but only started to care about it when they tried to get pregnant? Uh, well, that was me. Well, sort of, sort yeah. of. Yeah, I'm just like, of. in general, in terms but, of the- But in clients. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, how, 
how like, you know, we tend to, because the reason I asked is I was talking to another, um, I had another guest on, we were talking about overtraining syndrome, Mm -hmm. like the, like severe, like your body is in crisis, shutdown mode, kind of overtraining syndrome. And obviously missing, your missing period is kind of like, you have to miss your period on the way to being this overtrained. Um, she was saying that one of the re- one of the ways that people come to her, it's not that they feel like absolute garbage all the time. It's not that they can't get out of bed. It's not that they're whenever they exercise, their heart rate is maxed out. It's that they start gaining weight as one of the symptoms of overtraining. And it's like one of those things we are we tend to be very blind to things that we should be paying attention to until this one thing like spurs us into action for some people that's weight gain for some people it's a fertility journey um and i'm just you know curious about i would say a lot experience with clients like that a lot of them absolutely a lot of them um and then a lot of them also finally finding that maybe following me on instagram for a while and being like you know what i want to be proactive like i don't want to have babies tomorrow but i want to be proactive about it so it does serve as a bit of a motivating factor um to regain your cycle which is okay at the time if that's going to help you make the changes necessary to make your body healthy. I say awesome. But on the flip side, if you're not ever wanting babies or you don't want them for 10 years, you still have considerable amounts of health disparities that can occur if you don't address this problem. And I also really want, one of the reasons I think it's good that we're talking about this is because I think it's really important that we normalize that not having your period is not normal because there are some circles in which it's this weird badge of honor like oh you you've finally lost your period you're underweight enough to be a successful distance runner you know especially when you get adolescents and you know some groups of people together there are some very bizarre places in the running community where losing your period is considered a good thing um, which is horrible, which is horrific, which is terrible. It's like glamorizing self-harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important that we like, no, 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 no. This is not good. It's never good. We should never be aiming for this no matter what. And if this is happening to you, we need to work on fixing this. Absolutely not. And likely there's something deeper going on or you know, there's a big knowledge deficit because somewhere along the line, that person learned that like, ooh, you know, my goal is not only to be a distant runner, but like to do it so good that I lose my period. Um, and that is far from good, far from far from anything that you should be aiming for because you may feel fine on the outside. You may look fine on the outside, but what is happening inside your body? Your body is screaming and your body is hoping and wishing that you're going to fuel it so that you can have proper digestion, you can have proper heart health. And you know what? Maybe at the time you're not experiencing any of these symptoms. You're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm not I'm not cold. I'm not this. I'm not that. But eventually it's it's going to catch up for sure. So let's say we have people listening who are like, you know, I don't think this has ever been a problem for me, but I also know that my goals in the next couple of years involve increasing my training. I want to train for my first marathon, more marathons, ultra marathons, my first half marathon, whatever it is. How can I best support my menstrual health? Mm, great. What can we do to be proactive about this? Absolutely great question. Um, so some kind of we can call them literally red flags, right? Um, red flags that if you say right now you are experiencing a normal menstrual cycle, 
if you find your menstrual cycle lengthening, so you're, we'll just say a 28-day cycler, and you are finding each month it's creeping up another day, another day, another day, um, that's one red flag that you are starting to underfuel. Um, another thing is the flow. So you might have a super light period, super short period. So that's another thing. Um, or you might continue to cycle regularly and not ovulate. So there's a lots, of, lots of different ways. Um, and so, if, is that something you can test for? Because I, I know you can just buy ovulation kits. Like, if somebody's genuinely curious, could they just so buy an ovulation sort test of, kit? sort of. So it's not that simple because what can happen if the body is starting to trend into HA that during the menstrual cycle, the um, brain will send LH pulses. And so that's what it's measuring. Your ovulation predictor kits or test strips are measuring LH. And so it's sending out these like... Luteinizing hormone. That's LH. Yes. So it's sending out pulses. And so those pulses could be so high that it picks up like you're actually ovulating. You might be like, oh, cool. I'm ovulating. All right. Let's move on. And so those aren't the best indication. The, The real, I guess, the best indication, which can still be variable is your BBT, so your basal body temperature. So tracking that every morning, um, which is very specific on timing, how long you should keep your thermometer in your mouth, and it's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, So doing that, and there's so many things that can impact your temperature as well. So doing that and then combining tracking your cervical mucus, um, egg white cervical mucus is typically your quote-unquote fertile mucus. So combining those two together and seeing that that dip and rise around the time ovulation should happen would really be the only way to come as close as possible to predicting ovulation. Um, So that's one thing. And, you know, you can go on having a regular period and not be ovulating. And so that's important. And again, if you find your, your cycle shortening, could be a red flag too. So I know there's so many variables. Um, Changes. Maybe if it was regular and then things change. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, pretty, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, that's a good way to sum it up, Elizabeth. Um, But sometimes your cycle can become super short. And what I mean by super short is anything really less than 27 days is short. And what's happening there is likely your luteal phase is short. Um, And again, we need enough of uh, that luteal phase to happen to have also proper hormones kind of succinctly working together. So that's another flag. But yes, pretty much if you see, if you are used to consistency and you see changes, that's going to be a red flag. What about for, I've had, I've had a couple people, um, and even like my best friends, right? Like, you know, we talk about this and that and my friends who've had children talking about Oh, but my period's always been irregular. Oh. Like, it's always kind of been all over the place. Ever since I was 15, you know, it's kind of been some months it's this, some months it's that. I'm a regular weight. It's never really been an issue. I had no trouble getting pregnant, but my period's just kind of been screwy. Something's going on. Is that something you see? Yeah. Yeah, something's going on. And and I can't say for certain, is that HA? Could be PCOS. It could be a bunch of other, you know, um problems in the OBGYN area. Um, so I would say, you know, exploring that, getting, you know, seeing what's going on because your menstrual cycle should be predictable for the most part. Um, and 
if it's all over the place all the time, something's up. I can't say what for certain, but something is is definitely up. And, you know, your menstrual cycle can literally serve as a fifth vital sign. Um, so if you're not getting it regularly, um, if it's irregular all the time, if it's not coming, I would say plus or minus two days, you know, uh, variability each month, then something's up. And it could just be a fluke. If it's a one-time kind of month or maybe two, maybe you're under a lot of stress, maybe something catastrophic has happened, you're really sick or something like that. Um, That is, you know, uh, also something to consider. But yeah. The reason I bring this up is obviously not to be like, tell me, you know, you're not an OBGYN, but more to be like, I think we've typically are told, oh, if it's just always been that way, I'm sure that's just how you are. And again, that we shouldn't just accept that these things like, oh, but my doctor said, like, if it's always been like this, I'm sure it's fine. Mm. You know, not necessarily. Or like, oh, but they put me on birth control to regulate my period because it was so screwy. Yeah. Right. And again, if you're, it's a running podcast, if you're an endurance athlete, right, if you're exercising on purpose, um, this might, there might be something more to explore here. Absolutely. 100%. And you know your body best. And if you're questioning something isn't right, like, go with your gut. Go with your gut. Do you recommend that people use, um, like, menstrual cycle trackers if they're interested in in learning more about their cycle? So I would say if they are not on the pill or any kind of hormone, like, you know, like a IUDs, you know, um, if you're not on one of those and or on, you know, uh, hormonal pills of some sort, then I would say, yeah, definitely. You could learn a lot. And there's so many different things out there now. I actually just came across one um, and it you can order these test strips and it actually like uh, measures the, the levels of hormones in your urine, um, which is so cool. Um, and then there's, you know, hor- or excuse me, apps that go along with Um, thermometers that will input your basal body temperature. But it's not a bad idea because even if you're not concerned about your period, it's good to know like when you're going to get it, um, you know, for maybe event purposes or for family planning purposes, you know. So I would say not a bad idea. But if you feel like you're going to become obsessed with it, like if you're a very avid MyFitnessPal kind of person and you feel like it's really going to control your life, then write it on a calendar or something. Yeah. I mean, I, I track mine just because I, I mean, I've gone through obviously and talked about this on the show before, just my own weird hormonal things in the past mm-hmm. that have been really helped by working with a dietitian. Right. Um, you know, it's just, again, one of those things to, to not, yeah, like you said, not really be obsessive about, but just keep track of like you, you know, yeah. how did I sleep? How am I feeling? How's my mood? Oh, totally. All that stuff. And I know for me, I can always pinpoint when things are going to happen specifically like right before my period in my luteal phase, which is the second half, I'm always low energy. I'm maybe a bit more on the cranky side. I'm like, oh, I know where I am in my cycle. And then like the day before my period and and mine come, you know, to the T every every um, month. But I don't like look at my calendar, but I'm like, oh, here it comes. So you even even if you start to get to know your body that well, you're going to you're going to just know sometimes too which is pretty cool. Our bodies are amazing things if we let them do what they're supposed to be doing. Yes, absolutely. Cindy, this has been really an interesting conversation. I hope a very informative one for people who have had questions about 
why do we, why do we keep talking about, you know, why do coaches, dietitians, and people in this space who work, especially with athletes who are in, you know, say weight conscious fields, why do we keep talking about this? And that's because it's so, so, so important to understand the importance of your menstrual cycle if you're supposed to be getting one and you're not getting it. Absolutely. And spreading this awareness because it's just, it's so like, brushed off so many people's medical professionals everywhere in between um even natural paths where you're like oh you know i gotta get my hormones in check if your naturopath isn't telling you if you have a missing period isn't telling you to go eat more and rest more then all those supplements and gi protocols or whatever um you're just kind of like taking your money and flushing it down the toilet so um you know spreading this awareness um is just so 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 essential to kind of change this whole world in regards to um the importance of a healthy menstrual cycle something i feel like we didn't even touch on and i know we're ending the end of our conversation here but i work with a lot of um athletes who are premenopausal perimenopausal um and they, a lot of them have been told by their regular physicians like, oh, but the reason that your period is so funky is because you're entering menopause, right? Like this is where you are and just as your hormones change your life. But these are also incredibly active marathoners, triathletes, you know, and I have to, you know, say, you know, maybe yes, of course, you know, menopause, that could be one of the things that's happening here. But it also could be low energy availability. It also could be Absolutely. HA, even if you're in your 40s or 50s. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have worked with women that have been told, you're perimeno, you're, you know, pre-meno, like, you know, and then we we rest more and we eat more and then here comes the period. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, it's hard to tell because you know, people can go into menopause at different ages. Um, You can see like what happened with your mom, your aunts, stuff like that. That's not always like a pinpointing time. But, you know, um, if you are in your like early 40s, chances are like, nah, nah. Um, Maybe closer to 50, we could kind of say a little over 50. Yeah, we're getting closer to that. But no, not early 40s. No, no, no. Uh, the the theme of my episodes always tend to be listen to your body, probably eat, yes. eat more food than you think you technically have been eating up until now. Um, I think we, we tend to underestimate just how much energy these amazing complex machines take to really yeah. perform optimally, not just survive, Absolutely. but to thrive. Yep, 100%. Well, Cynthia, if somebody has listened to this conversation is like, okay, I need help. (laughs) How can they work with you, find you, follow you if they want to learn more? Absolutely. So I mostly live on Instagram, not physically, but virtually. Sometimes Um, you like physically. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is true. Um, So on Instagram at period.nutritionist, and I have a ton of helpful content um, to even just get you guys thinking about recovering your period. Uh, So you can find me there. And if you wanted to work with me, there is a link in my bio on Instagram and you click that, you fill out an application, and you apply for coaching. So I don't accept all of the clients that apply for coaching. There's definitely, I don't want to say criteria you have to meet, but 
you know, there there is definitely a screening process to make sure that you feel the program is a good fit and vice versa. Uh, so putting that application in and um, trying to think what else. Uh, my website is periodnutritionist.com. Lots of helpful information there. And I also have a podcast um, called The Period Recovery Podcast, which I just launched back in May. So it's pretty new still, but there's so, so much out there on that podcast that I think you guys will find um, very, very helpful. Well, congratulations on your podcast. Um, Thank you. Everything that Cynthia just mentioned will be linked in the show notes if you want to find and follow her and add her to your tidy collection of resources. Um, Very important, I think, anybody. You know, and even for listeners who don't menstruate and never have, or the closest they get is seeing the pad aisle in, in the drugstore, you know, I think that understanding that half the population of this planet is supposed to be getting a period. Uh, and that is something that I think we all just need to be like, hey, it's normal. And you, if you're supposed to be getting one, you probably should be getting one regularly. Absolutely. Cynthia, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Elizabeth. I had a great time chatting. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.